0: guys can hear me now okay? Okay. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you will. We'll get started there this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, as we start the new year and uh, so forth, I, I just kind of want to look at a few things th- th- these coming weeks as we kind of build up to our annual meeting, but just really also as we come into a new year. Uh, I've been reading online in different uh, survey groups and so forth, and, and uh, every one of them, it's amazing, says that 2021 will, will be worse than 2020. It's not going to get any better, it'll be worse. So I'm like, okay, now, and, and it's fascinating that out of the three or four survey groups that I was looking at, almost verbatim with each other was the same reasoning, not, so it wasn't even a different, in re, and it wasn't a different in a politic thing or money thing or COVID thing. It was just everybody, no matter who's in, who the president is, okay, because they had one group for Trump, one group from Biden. And no matter what happens mid-January, 21 is going to be worse than 20. And I got, it made me start thinking and going, you know, wow, what, what does the word of God say about that? And uh, this morning, I want to look at us about living with hope in view. <laughs> if it's going to get worse, might as well look on the sunny side of it. And what brought, what came to my mind was 2 Timothy three verse number thirteen. And uh, the verse says, "But evil men and seducers shall wax what worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived." Now, in the passage, the context is critical. He's talking about saved people. He's talking about the church, the body of Christ and church history and everything. But what is the design? What's gonna happen? It's gonna get worse and worse. So here I am reading you know, Barna and Lifetime and all these guys, and you know what, and I'm like, it's not a surprise to me, it's gonna do what? Get worse and worse. Come over with me to Romans eight, just real quick here, Romans eight. And, and what's fascinating about it is the reasoning behind it getting worse and worse. It, it, when you woke up this morning, I hope you said, Thank you, Lord, for another day of grace. You, and if you didn't, you ought to. And It's not the, the old meeting stuff. I'm glad I woke up breathing. No, as, thank you for another day of your grace. If the Lord decides to tarry and to extend out the age of grace... It's critical that you and I understand, know some things about what's happening, and then live our lives based on that. If we lived our lives based on the politic or the economic or the social things of the day, you know what we're living? We're, we're living in a worse, it's just going to get worse and worse. Okay? And what's fascinating about it is the, the issue of, well, look at Romans 8. Verse 18. We're going to come back to this passage. Well, let's just get into it here. Romans 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What's going to happen right now? It's going to get what? Worse and worse. How do I know that? The book said so. Let's pray and go home. It's amazing to me how. We were talking about this last hour. How, if, if I ask you, are you saved this morning, you would say yes. How do you know you're saved? How do you know that Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again the third, for the third day? And not the first day, the third day. And, how, and, that, and that your faith and faith alone in that justifies you, secures you from an eternal penalty of the lake of fire. How do you know that? Because the scripture says so. So when the scripture says that and we are 100% boom, confident of that, then what's our problem when it says it's going to get worse and worse that we don't believe that verse? What's verse 18 say? The suffering of this present time is going to continue to be a condition of suffering. So when you look around at what's going on, and boy, when life dumps on you, it really kind of dumps on you sometimes. We should not be surprised. We know what God's doing today. He's forming the church, the body of Christ. He's extending another day of grace. He's not holding sinful man accountable yet for their sins. That's coming, 2 Corinthians 5. He's, not, he's, he's long-suffering. He's forbearing some things right now. And we are grateful for that. Don't get me wrong. Okay? He was a grateful day the day of your justification that he didn't end it the day before. When you think about it. So when you think about what's going on, I just, I, I just, I, worse and worse. Look over at Second Corinthians 12. Second Corinthians 12. What should our, perspective B then. Well, I'm going to live with a hope in, in mind, a hope in view, my hope in view. Look at 2 Corinthians 12. By the way, can I just say that God's not going to rescue you from the situations and circumstances of your life? He will rescue you one day from this present evil world. It's called a rapture if you're alive and remain when he comes back. But he's not going to reach down and, and protect you and rescue you. Because that's not, that's not what he's doing today. That's why so we understand what he is doing today. What is he doing today? He's forming the church, the body of Christ, creating an entity here, the, the, the local church specifically, but he's creating this body that goes then out and lives, puts on display his life. If you, if you think about, look at verse 9. Paul here, he's been praying for the thorn and the, the messenger from Satan to buffet him. He's prayed three times for the Lord to, for it to depart, verse 8, verse 9. And he, who would the he be? The Lord, right? Said unto me, here, now let me ask you something. Is the Lord the word? John 1 1 says he is. So what is the word going to say to Paul? Okay? So when you're sitting there and things are falling down on you, what does the Word say to Rick? What does the Word say to you? You see, how, that's the answer to prayer. What does the Word say to me? We're always looking for, you know, the big vending machine in the sky to, to dump on our heads down and rain blessings down, but we already have it. We have it in His Word, and what does His Word say? Well, His Word to Paul says here in this moment, By the way, he says this to you too. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Here is Paul. Think about where Paul's at here in 2 Corinthians 12. The stuff of chapter 11 has happened to him. You start there in chapter 11, verse 22, down to the end of that chapter, and he's been beat up. You think your life stinks. His Paul was beyond stinking. It was brutal, and you know what happens some guys show up and he's got some he's got an infirmity in the flesh he's got all this attack going on and he goes he gets called up into the third heaven sees sees the this is my belief, you can agree or disagree, you can be wrong, that's okay. He sees the Ephesians, the stuff he writes to us in the book of Ephesians. He gets all that big picture under play. He holds on to it, and Satan, uh, the Lord sends this messenger in, whatever it is, to kind of slow Paul down, keep him humble, if you will. And Paul says, you know what, I'm just at my weakest moment. And you know what the Lord says? Quit praying for me. My grace is sufficient. Paul, remember who you are. Remember your identification doctrines of Romans 6, 7, and 8. Remember what I've done to you. I've made you a new creature. I've blessed you with all spiritual blessings. I've made you complete. I've given you everything you need. Quit acting like a baby. Get up. Now, he doesn't, he's in weakness. My strength is what? Made how? Perfect. Mature. Mature grown up in what? Weakness. Paul's in a weak condition. And the Lord says, remember the doctrine. Pay attention. So what does Paul say back? Most gladly, therefore, you know what Paul did? He remembered the doctrine. Over there in Philippians when he says, I've been instructed that in whatsoever state I am to be what? Content. He remembered the doctrine. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon. The power of Christ. Notice he doesn't say the power of God. He says the power of Christ. What is Romans 6 and 7 and 8, those identification doctrines, what do we begin to learn? We're this new creature where? Where? in Christ. What did God the Father give to to His Son? You, You read them in Ephesians 1, all those spiritual blessings. What did God the Father say in Ephesians 1, verse 9 and 10? I'm going to do with you, Son. I'm going to set you above all, ahead of all of it. And the church is going to be in their position. And he looks over and he says, I have a, there's an inheritance I'm giving you. Uh, Ephesians 1 verse 11. You have an inheritance and your inheritance is going to do this and you're going to do that. And you know what Paul's reminded? He says, dude, I'm going to remember. Dude, <laughs> he didn't call God dude. He says, hey, I'm going to remember the power of Christ. Look at everything I've got. Now that should be our perspective. It was, I was listening to a guy a couple weeks ago, and he made a point about it doesn't matter who you voted for. It doesn't. The situation's going to just keep doing what? Getting worse and worse. You're not going to stem the tide of the satanic policy of evil, of the course of this world. Your job isn't to do that, by the way. Who, you know whose job that is? The Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes back. Your job is to be an ambassador. Your job is to put on display. Make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Your job is to go into the situation and say, what would Christ look like in this situation in my life? What would Christ do? Come over to 1 Corinthians 10. You know that word charity? We love that word, don't we? You know that charity in Scripture doesn't mean giving to the poor? (laughs) It doesn't. I'm sorry. It doesn't mean taking care of the poor. You go read 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, Well, you're in 10, right? Look over at 13. Uh, It just just cracks me up. 13, verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not, what? Charity. Charity. It profiteth me nothing. You see how feeding the poor, and yet I still don't have what? Charity. Charity in Scripture has nothing to do with feeding the poor, taking care of people. Now, should you feed the poor and take care of Sure you should, but the motivation isn't coming from charity. The motivation is coming from the doctrine in you working and doing. Charity, over there in Thessalonians, we're going to see it, it's called the labor of love. Charity is that issue of love at work, doing. Charity is thinking how God would think about the situation. Charity is me looking at you and you looking at me saying, how do I value and esteem that other person? You see it displayed in Philippians. I know you're in, I'm off on a rabbit trail. Look over at Philippians 2. You see, folks, when you talk about charity... And you begin to talk about thinking about things and how you ought your perspective. Look at Philippians 2. There's a verse in Galatians. Hang on. You know how you get a verse and it just bugs you? Okay. Look at Galatians 2. Look at verse number 2. Now verse 1. I'm, I'm sorry, Philippians 2. My bad. Philippians 2, verse 1. I'm so. I'm sorry. It's not on the overhead. It's not on your notes. I'm sorry. Philippians 2.1. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bows and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind." Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Those three verses, verses 2, 3, and 4, are a perfect definition of biblical charity. Come to Galatians, chapter 5. When you think about By the way, verse 5 there in Philippians, he says what? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The original grace thinker, and what did he think about? Not himself. He thought about, he esteemed others better than himself. Now look at Galatians 5, and look at verse 6. It's the end of the verse that I was thinking about. But faith which worketh By what? Love. Now come to 1 Corinthians 10. So get back on track. So when you think about each other, our perspective is my grace is sufficient. Okay, we got it. But my perspective is, is you know what? Most gladly, therefore, I'm going to glory in the infirmities. Because what do I know? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, a great verse. Paul just kind of slides in here talking about, in a section about some things with Israel and what was going on, written for our learning and so forth. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, There hath no temptation taken you but such as common to man. This verse is a great verse. When you think about what happens and what comes up in life, guess what? You're not the only one that's upset about the election. Can I just tell you that? You know how you know? Just get on TV or online and you find it quick. You're not the only one that's upset about Alabama winning the football game. (laughs) I was asked how I was going to work that in today. By the way, I got my Alabama socks on this week. Next week's too late, okay? So you, how do how you're not the only one. That's what's common to man. That's a wonderful thing. When things happen in your life and things begin to come in life, guess what? You're not special. Because you know what us Christians think? We're special. And guess what? You're not. Wait a minute. I'm a child of the most high. Yeah, you are. A saint of the most high. Yes, you are. Yeah, you're justified. Yeah, you're a member. But guess what? When it comes to trouble, you ain't special. When it comes to things just going to get worse and worse, guess what? It is common to man. That's why I said a minute ago, God's not going to rescue you from this. So you need to have the, pr- the proper perspective. Keep reading. But God is faithful. All right, here we go. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, okay, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. Now, that'd be great if that verse ended there. And I always say that because the rest of that verse says that ye may be able to bear it. Do you know how you escape it? Do you know how you escape the trouble? You bear it. But you're bearing it in, who, in the power of Christ. You're bearing it in who you are in Christ. When you come in and you, and then, by the way, that thing about charity, we just looked at that stuff there in Philippians. What do others do? Others see you in trouble and come up and, and do what? Help you. Come in and say, you know what, I've been where you've been. Here's a verse or three or eight that helped me. Here, let me help you. That's charity, by the way. Charity can only be performed, I'll be honest with you, in a local assembly. Because it's me helping you and you helping me. It's work, faith work that worketh by love. I know we love the lost, don't get me wrong, but they're lost. Now, what do they need? To get saved? Then we can go in and help. It's fascinating, just by the way, I'm trying to work that out of my, my repertoire. Charity is only talked about in the church epistles. That's why I say it's only a local church thing. Because he only talks, talking about it in Corinthians a little bit, but he's fixing what? The church at Corinth. He talks about it in Ephesians, or Colossians to the church at Colossae. It isn't a foundational doctrine, or thing. it's a mature thing. He talks about it with Timothy. The end of the commandment is charity. That's a mature thing down the road. You get there. You grow to it. 10.13. i got to stay on track. I told myself, get done at noon today. Get done noon. <laughs> okay. Nice. Get, what did you say? Game on? Oh, nothing. Okay. Dream on. Oh, here he goes. All right. 10.13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are As we begin 2021, we need to be reminded that we have a hope. Yes, it's going to get worse and worse because that's just what life does to us. But when it does, and when life does come along, come back with me over to 1 Thessalonians now. When life comes along and just kind of rains down on our parade, we shouldn't run from it. We shouldn't allow it to run us. We shouldn't allow it to overwhelm us. We shouldn't cave to it. Uh, we've talked to several months ago about not living in fear. We don't get the spirit of fear. We have the spirit of power, of a sound mind, and of love. We need to be living with our hope in view. And it's a fantastic thing when you begin to think about our future. The now is nasty. I, you know, this is the third day of the new year. And they're like, Rick, you're you know, Debbie Downer here. No. It, it, you could have the best, 20, 2021 could be your best year of your life. I understand that. And it should be when you have the proper perspective. In 1 Thessalonians, you have Paul talk about our future talks about the event we call the rapture. He talks about some things here in, in the beginning of the, of the, of the book, of, of the chapter here in chapter one, that I think we need to be reminded. If you look at verse three, look at the first word, remembering. Now, Paul's talking about the church at Thessalonica. By the way, they were a mature church. Uh, Spurgeon said one time, when you find the perfect church, don't join it, you'll mess it up. Well, the closest thing in Scripture to the perfect church has been recorded as the Thessalonians. The thing, though, is, is they had problems too, okay? And they had some issues as well. So when you come in and you begin to think about, hey, you know, we got things going on. I sit at the end of every year and recount 2020, and then I make plans for 2021, the next year. And you know what usually happens when I sit and look at the past year? I get a little depressed on everything I did not get done, <laughs> you know, because there's things I'd like to get done. And then I move them over to 20. I got one item right now. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I've been kicking for 15 years. I just can't get to it. And I'm hoping to get to it this coming year. Why? Because you've got plans, you've got goals you're going to do. And, so, and when you do that, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3 comes to my mind all the time. Whereas Paul begins to say to him, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the sight of God our Father. Paul lays out for us three three components in our thinking that need to be there. Our work of faith, our labor of love, and our patience of hope. Those are the three great marks of spiritual maturity, of growth. It's fascinating. There are seven judgments in in Scripture, and one of the judgments is the one where Paul talks about judging yourself, where you take and sit yourself and look at what you're doing and comparing it to the Scripture and saying, am what I'm doing, what's right, and, and so forth. And one of the issues here is this issue of of your work of faith and your patience of hope and your labor of love. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, over there, verse 13. Faith, hope, and charity, and the greatest of these is what? Charity. Again, you know why he says that? Because that's that ultimate mature level when you get to thinking about other people way before you ever think about yourself. That's when you get over there and you get to thinking about, hey, how would Christ think about? This idiot that's in my face all day long yelling at me. How does Christ think about this guy over here that just won't get off my back? How does Christ look at this guy over here who, for his sweetness and his kindness to me, is just sickening? <laughs> it's like, ugh. You know, you ever get around a guy like that? No? Okay. <laughs> all right. How does Christ think about this? See, that's, now we're into the charity issue, and let's go do that. That spiritual maturity issue. The work of faith. You think about that. I don't know if you have. I, I do from time to time. The work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. It's faith that worketh by love. We read the verse a minute ago. The work of faith. That's when the word of God comes in and begins to empower your life because you believe it. It's the work of faith. Your faith resident in what the word of God. Come over to chapter 2 and verse 13. Chapter 2 and verse 13. Paul says to him, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which he heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. The word of God empowering your life. You read your three chapters a day. You, by the way, have you ever noticed when you get reading three chapters, the next thing you know it's like four hours have gone by because you've been running verses. You don't have that problem. Okay? You're a little more disciplined than I. I get two verses in the other day and I'm like, where'd the time go? You know, because I went rabbit trail. I tell you not to do that and then I go do it, right? Great, great, great uh, illustration. What happens? It begins to empower your life. It comes along and it says, hey, look, when things get bad, 2 Corinthians 12, what's the word say to you? My grace is sufficient. That's your perspective. 1 Corinthians 10, what should your perspective be? Hey, this is common to man. Do you realize that they can reset the stock market at any moment? Now what do you do about your 401k and your retirement plans? Uh Uh-oh. And you know what the Lord says? My grace is sufficient for you. And you just saw your retirement go. Now what do we do? cry (laughs) for some yeah well you now you, you it can happen they don't need a project to do it by the way there is one out there that they're pushing they don't all it has to do is it's gone what do you do then well now you're back out in the backyard trying to figure out how to be a gardener and grow something a farmer they're called urban farmers now you know okay now you're down there trying to find chickens, and, and then the HOA says you can't have chickens. Now right, Now what do we do? Find out somebody who's got them. <laughs> you know. So you, you just have to do what? You have to look at it and say, okay, God's grace is good. Off we go. The work of faith. The word coming in and fortifying you, holding you, building you up. Saying, hey, My grace is sufficient for you. The labor of love. I love that one. Labor. What does that entail? Work. Movement. Activity. The the labor of love. So you've got a life empowered by the word because you believe it. Now you've got a life motivated by a gratitude for what God has done for you. How do you know what God's done for you? Where have you been? In the book? Studying? Believing what you're... 100%. We're on board. Why? That verse to say it, we're in it. And then the labor of love comes along and says, okay, now go to work. There's some good works that you should do, Ephesians 2.10 says. There's some activity that you're to have. Titus 3 over there, he tells the, 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 the leadership to constantly remind... To maintain good works. There's some things to do. Work of the ministry to go do. Get out there. By the way, what does the Lord want to happen to that guy that won't get off your back? What's Romans 12 say? He wants him to get what? Saved. Now what 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 a perspective that is. This guy won't get off my back. And the book says, go give him the gospel. He wants him to see, be saved. Oh, I got to go over and talk to this idiot again. Here we go. Hey, God, do you know where you're going to spend eternity if you die today? That's going to go over like a lead balloon, isn't it? Perspective. Labor of love. Who you are in Christ. You know, we always like to say we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. That's the perspective. We don't love him to get a blessing. We don't love him to get anything better than anyone else. Why? We already have gotten. Romans 5 verse 1, we have peace with God. We have access. We have hope. We've already gotten it. We're not doing it to get more. We're doing it because what? It's a labor of love. Patience of hope. That life that is sustained by the hope that we have in Christ. First Timothy 1 over there, he calls him Christ our hope. You think about a perspective to live in. You've got a life that's empowered by the word of God because you believe it. You've got a life that's now going to be motivated out of a heart of love and gratitude, a heart of thanksgiving, being thankful for everything that God has given to you, and then living a life that's just always sunny side on the dark, cloudy day. Because what do we know? The future. Boy, that's living with some hope in view. That's looking at it going, you know what? Yeah, it's going to get worse and worse. I already know that. But you know what? It doesn't have to run me. It doesn't have to overwhelm me. It doesn't have to control me. Because you know what I can do? I can live with knowing what's going on. In Romans 6, Paul says, Know ye not? Knowing this, reckon this. Don't you know that? You should have known this already. <laughs> Remember we did that study a few weeks ago about wisdom, knowledge, and understanding? There it is. Now the rest of the book of Thessalonians is about this issue of the hope, the patience of hope. And it's going to begin to focus in on that issue. And I just want to take the the last couple minutes here looking at that issue and looking at the, the, this issue of the patience of hope. Living a life, having our lives be sustained by the hope that we have in Christ. I'll be honest with you. I wake up, I put the little news on, catch up what's going on. Really the weather, because, you know, find out what's, how bad it's going to be today. <laughs> Cold or heat. And then you got to turn it off, otherwise you get really depressed really quick. So you go get in the car drive out here to church and who are you listening to on the radio more doom and gloom or christmas music if you're on the right station <laughs> you know or whatever you know if you listen to the country station you play it backwards you get your car back your wife back your dog back and you actually kill something on the hunt <laughs> you know it's it's amazing you know so what do you do you just sit and and just life does what to you it just bombards you and you're like you know that song stop the world and let me get off you know you're just done now you're over there in the corner praying lord come back today please but there's a hope that we have that will sustain us and to get us through if you notice, verse four, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in in power and in Holy Ghost and of much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, and ye became followers of us, followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Folks, when Paul rolled into Thessalonica, it wasn't just a, a sunny Sunday. There was turmoil going. You go back into Acts 18 and you go back, I'm sorry, not Acts 18, Acts 17 and 16, and there's trouble. There's much affliction going on. And you know what they did? They readily heard the word. So much so that down there, well, verse 7, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what mannering of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Notice, man, they look over there. They, they, Paul rolls into town. He preaches the gospel. They get saved. They became followers of us and of the Lord. They didn't sit there going, wait a minute, are we Israel or are we body? Are we little flock? Because they're still over there. Are we the? They said, no, we're the body of Christ. We know who we are. That issue of election in verse 4, they didn't have a big debate and a three-hour argument about what election was. There's only one little verse that he, they understood the issues of election and who they were. They understood that election had nothing to do with salvation, has everything to do with service, and they're out serving. How do you know it? Verse 8, everybody's heard about them. They're out there sounding out the word. They're doing their job. What's getting them there? Verse 10. That's what's getting them there. Could you imagine having the lewd men or the baser sorts, the mob sitting out in the front parking lot waiting for you to come to church? Some of you chicken out, not even come. We'll just catch you online. <laughs> what's gonna happen down the road if we get a protest or something outside? I'm not gonna come. <laughs> they may hurt me. These guys are like, let's go. They were there. They're in it. Now, be sensible. I'm not trying to, that was a funny, okay? We'll, we'll be sensible about that if it ever happens. But the thing is, is these guys, but why? Verse 10, what are they? And to what? Wait for his son from heaven. Isn't that a fantastic? You know, Paul never says, I want to die and go to heaven. He says what? I'm waiting for the son from heaven. I'm looking for the blessed hope and great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, I'm looking for Jesus, man. I'm coming. I ain't going to heaven. I'm going to him. Waiting. I, I, I think about that issue of waiting. We don't wait very well, do we? Uh-oh. We don't wait very, very patiently, do we? We, wait. we don't wait very well. We're very impatient. In a microwave world today, where 30 seconds isn't really, it's too long. You know, you put the popcorn bag in. I did it the other night because I'm on the end of my di- off-diet days. So, two, two, 2.20. 2 o'clock, I'm like, two, two minutes left. I'm like, come on, come on. Is this thing done? You know, Right? Paul says, wait, have some patience. We're waiting for, for his son to come down from heaven, to, uh, his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which, now watch, delivered us from the wrath to come. Now that's a specific wrath. That isn't the tribulation of the day. So I'm about the seven, 70th week. He's talking about the end of, out there the day of the Lord the end of all that out there but notice we're delivered it's already done so they're not waiting for the Sun to come get them so that they don't go through the wrath what do they know they're already delivered from the wrath what are they waiting for then chapter 2 what are they wait they're waiting to go where to the heavenly places They're waiting to say, hey, the dispensation of grace is done. Now the church, the body of Christ, is on to its job. On to to its home. Chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Look at what they're waiting for. They're waiting for the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they're waiting for. We know we've been delivered from the wrath to come. We know that's good. We're not going to see that day ever. We won't even taste it or touch it. It's not appointed. Chapter 5, he says, We're not appointed under under wrath. So what are we waiting for? The presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's fascinating. Paul says that the crown, his crown of rejoicing, is you. Isn't that wonderful? We got this bullwinkle, big old moose looking thing with a bunch of Burger King crowns all over it. Because he's the king, you know. We got all the. No, he says crown, one crown, singular. But it's not even a crown. It's a crown of what? Rejoicing. And it's you being there. You're there. Chapter 3. Look at what else they're waiting for. Chapter 3, verse 13. Chapter 3, verse 13. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. There we go. Look at—they're waiting for the Son to return so that they can be in the presence of the Lord, and then in His presence, then go be presented to God the Father. That's what we're waiting for. Boy, what a hope! What's something to think about in the miry mess? Chapter 4, you start in verse 13 and you run down to the end of the chapter, and here's the details of the event, of how all of that's to transpire. Verse 15 For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Here's his word, here's his guarantee, here's his handshake on the deal that one day what's going to happen? that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And Boy, what a guarantee. But the word of the Lord on this, his handshake, his stamp, his deal, He says, guess what's going to happen? We're going to have a great reunion one day for all of you guys that are waiting or for all those that have already passed. But look at verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with... Now, this passage always goes to the funerals, usually, because everybody's looking for that day of reunion. But think about it in the nasty now and now. All of the people say it's going to be worse. Unless you listen to a couple other guys, they think it's going to be fantastic, but most of them say worse. Wouldn't there be comfort in knowing that we're waiting for the sun to do what? To come back? And we have the word of the Lord on it. That's fantastic. It is wonderful. Because what's going to, boy, what better way, you know, you know what, you listen to the radio guys and they're usually wrong. You listen to the guys on TV that you watch, you listen to the people and watch on you watch on internet, and you know what, usually they are wrong. But the word of the Lord is never wrong. I hang my hat there, thank you. What's going to happen? He's going to come back, chapter five. By the way, chapter 5, if you look there at verse 9, for God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. The salvation there is, is going home, verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, the whole of you, W-H-O, whole of you. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every chapter has to do with something about us going home, but it starts and chapter 1, verse 10, with us doing what? Waiting for the Son. Waiting to come back. Waiting for Him. Go back to chapter 1, verse 10. I don't know if you've thought about that. I, again, I have. I've, I think about it. Waiting. Have you ever waited for someone to come and visit? A loved one? And you just can't sit still and you're anticipating it? waiting holding a vigil you're waiting we are waiting for the person we're waiting for the person of, of the Lord Jesus Christ we're waiting for him. that's what's driving we're anticipating his appearance aren't we not <laughs> you're not I am We're living our lives with a conscience that our Savior is going to come. We're waiting. We're not waiting for the next president. We're not waiting for the next Congress. We're not waiting for the next Internet bubble boom. We're not waiting for the market bubble boom, blow up, whatever. We're waiting for a person the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're waiting for him to do what? Come back from heaven, our home. He's delivered us, verse 10 says. By the way, whom he raised from the dead, when you and I one day will be raised, the mortal will put on immortality. The corruption, the corrupted, will put on incorruption. What are we talking about, new bodies? Boy, what a day that'll be. I worked yesterday out in the shed trying to clean some stuff up, and I come back in about a a couple hours later, and I looked at Linda, and I said, I pulled my back, did it again. And she's like, suck it up, dude. (laughs) Deal with it. Did you take your Advil? I said, no. She goes, well, when you take your Advil, then I'll have sympathy for you. So you know what I did? I didn't take my Advil. (laughs) I went and got in the hot tub. Made it worse, I think. But the... Boy, that new body ain't going to be that way. The new body, more than just being physically okay and better, it's now, now it's time to go do our jobs in the heavenly places. It's time to go work. He's raised from the dead. We have this new body. We're waiting for that. He's delivered us from that wrath. To go. We're, we're not waiting for the wrath to come. Why? We're, 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 we're gone. You see, folks, when you want to live today, today's, it could be bad, 2021. But I think it should be fantastic with the proper perspective. Who are we waiting for? Well, we're waiting for January 6th, Rick, don't you know? What's January 6th got to do? Well, there's some things happening. Well, we're waiting for January 20th. Or we're waiting for January 21 because that's the day the bullets are going to fly. I'm like, really? Okay. What are you waiting for? Guess what? I ain't waiting for any of that because guess what will happen? January 6 will come and go. January 20 is going to come and go. Well, I'm waiting for whatever. I get tired of thinking about it. It's actually depressing sometimes. No. How about let's wait for his son from heaven? How about think about, hey, the suffering of the present time is not worthy to be compared to the what? The glory. Let's let that dictate our lives. Let's let that run our thinking. The vaccine showed up. Some of you took a deep breath of relief. Others took a deep breath of anxiety. Whoop-de-doo. Take it or not take it, doesn't matter. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask, doesn't matter. What matters? Waiting for his son. That's what matters. What matters? The the moment is just a moment, and we got eternity. I know we all have our opinions. I'm not saying your opinion's right or wrong, by the way. What's your thinking? What's in your perspective? Well, I don't want to be around this. Then don't be around it. It's okay. But that's what you're thinking. The perspective. Have that proper perspective. Follow that? Man, that's living with hope in view. Paying attention to what's really real. John, Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that we have in your son. We thank you for everything for all sufficiency for all grace for all things and lord i just pray that we would think about our perspective as we go into a new year that we would have the proper perspective to live to wait with patience for your return and if your return isn't during our lifetime that we would then live a life of gratitude for what you've done for us as we're out doing the work of the ministry, bringing praise and honor and glory to you. In your name we pray, amen.